Hello, everybody, and welcome to the All The Anime podcast. Uh, we don't do these very often anymore, but it is that time of year. It is Scotland Loves Anime time. Uh, we are currently in the midst of the Glasgow weekend of SLA 2023, um, and that means that our jury deliberations are over. They finished last night. So as is tradition, we are here to uh, talk about the films in competition with our jury members. Um, but first up, I will um, introduce the usual crew. Um, I'm Andy Hanley, the marketing manager at Anime Limited and also festival coordinator here at Scotland Loves Anime. We are, of course, uh, joined by uh, the jury festival chairman, Jonathan Clements. Hi, Jonathan. Hello. We are also joined by the uh, Scotland Loves Anime festival director, Andrew Partridge. Oh. And uh, most importantly of all, the actual stars of the show, uh, we have three of our four jury members here today. Um, Jonathan will be the, the voice of uh, of the fourth member. Um, but let's go around the houses and introduce everybody and let them introduce themselves, more importantly. Uh, Donna McAvoy, we'll start with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm a 2D animator and illustrator just based outside Glasgow. Um, I've just got experience working in TV animation, uh, mobile games, and most recently doing more motion graphics type stuff, but illustration based. And if I can jump in here, Donna, you also revealed last night that when you were a student, you actually came along to one of the first um, Scotland Loves Anime presentations when we had Merlin Crossingham from um, Ardman Animation in Talking at the Edinburgh Filmhouse. So you were a mere student at that time. Yeah, I went along. I think was it twenty eleven or yeah. something like that? Yeah, yeah. So that was a really good experience, but that was my first kind of Scotland loves anime experience, and it was great. This this makes us feel quite old as a festival when we reach that point where people who were at our education days are now coming back as jury members. But a nice, a nice, a nice little little touch, nice little moment. Um, but okay, onwards to uh, Sean Mulvena. Uh, welcome, and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm Sean Movena. I'm a Glasgow-based illustrator and art director. I work across uh, video games, animation and print, uh, and I'm the co-founder and art director of Stack and Chairs, uh, narrative first game studio making single-player games. Excellent. Um, and then um, lastly, for our, our present jury members, uh, Anna Songal, uh, welcome aboard and uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Hannah, and I'm a stop motion director and animator. Um, although I work at GMAP Film as well as the filmmakers program officer there. Um, and yeah, I freelance with animation, teach a little bit every now and then as well. So that's my sort of background. And our fourth jury member who is off doing secret agent things on a Sunday morning and, and can't join us as well was Gordon Howe. Um, who's also an animator and director, I believe, and um, uh, was talking uh, at the jury dinner last night about how he runs an organisation called Clanimation, uh, which seems to be involve a lot of drinking, as far as I can tell, but presumably some kind of networking organisation for, for Scottish animators. Um, Gordon was was very vocal on the jury and uh, had a very distinctive voice on it, and uh, unfortunately he's not here, so I'm going to represent him as a sock puppet, um, if necessary, uh, while the rest of the jury tell us uh, what happened. But we, we, we've done these events, uh, these podcasts in the past, sometimes with only one jury member uh, present. So it's, it's, it's not, don't, don't panic. It's not the end of the world if you're not all here. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, I guess without further ado, we can get to talking about the, the four films in competition. Uh, this is where I put in the traditional warning. Obviously, we are talking about films that you may not have seen. So spoiler warnings throughout. We may be talking about specific elements of the films um, in some detail. So be warned. Um, our four films in competition are um, Phoenix, Remembrance of Flower, uh, Lonely Castle in the Mirror, Blue Giants, and The Concierge. Um, and I guess we will go through those films in uh, in that order. So I guess we'll we'll start with uh, with Phoenix. So I mean, I guess Jonathan, I'll let you let you take it away from here. All right. Well, I would like the the uh, <laughs> um, I did explain to the jury members uh, before the film. Uh, that we were looking at a, a work by um, uh, Osamu Tezuka, which was effectively his life's work was to tell this kind of epic poem, um, epic um, saga, sorry, about um, the the life of humanity and viewed by an immortal being. Um, and um, specifically uh, because there were so many different stories that crop up in the Phoenix saga, which was actually not finished at the time of his death, it's relatively easy to kind of zoom in on one of them. The trouble is, is that if you're not familiar uh, with the overall story of Phoenix, the fact that we are effectively reading Tezuka's Cloud Atlas and the characters are being reincarnated repeatedly throughout human history. And, you know, some people are supporting characters in someone else's story and then have their own story where they're the lead is not really uh, very clear, which is why... Um, I would like one of the jury members, and I'm going to pick Donna because she's first across my uh, the top of my screen here, to tell us what they think the story of Phoenix was based on um, a very formalist perspective of just walking into a cinema, sitting down and watching the film in front of you. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> um, there is a lot happening, so I guess there was probably like a lot of deeper meaning that I was not picking up on because I was just like, following the characters like I usually prefer quite character based stuff but it felt very much like the worlds were more the main character like the the bleakness of space and all the different places they go to and how they change over time and like the expanse of time as well was like a big subject of it so um I mean the the main character um I've forgotten her name was it like Romy? Romy, yes, Romy, yeah, sorry. Romy. I, I was just going to say, I've forgotten her name as well, so I'm glad yeah. you... <laughs> so, I don't know, it was quite strange the way it introduced her son at the start, but then he was gone quite early on as well, so it was like you were becoming attached to a character, mm -hmm. but then you lost that quite early as well, and then it just felt a bit disconnected to me. Like, I wasn't mm -hmm. as invested in the characters as I would have It starts off with, with Romy and, and her husband as kind of at the Adam and Eve on this kind of colony, this bleak colony world, and hoping to, mm -hmm. to terraform it. Um, and one of the things that I did quite like about it was the way that it kept jumping in time so that, you know, instead of there being a gap of a second between scenes, there was 10 seconds between scenes, a minute between scenes, and eventually reached this point where there were scenes coming thick and fast that were years apart to try and tell this, this huge, 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 long story. Um, uh, Gordon really enjoyed it, but he said it felt like he was watching a recap of something much bigger, which is, of course, exactly what it was. Um, and in, Anna, in your case, you enjoyed the start, but then you started to go off it a bit as it wandered off in its own little world. 
Um, yeah, I felt a little bit like Donna in the sense that I really enjoyed the start, but I think it was because I thought the story was going a, a different way that it went eventually. Um, and I don't know why, but I got really invested with uh, Kian, I think he was called, uh, the son. And I thought that he was going to take the lead and tell us the story on how, you know, he made this world um, a great world to, world to live in. Um, and then it kind of like changed really quickly and became the, this massive kind of story about the, the mom and like all of this world. So, yeah, I think I've, I felt a bit disappointed when the song was kind of like removed <laughs> of the story completely. Um, and it did feel like they just crammed in too much on the film and I don't know if that was the intention of it but the phoenix was sort of like outside the story and only came in like at, at the beginning yeah, it really shows the up at the beginning and sort of sprinkles some pixie dust and then it sort of shows up at the end and kind of waves at you and, and flies off yeah exactly so, so why is this called phoenix again uh, because <laughs> the phoenix is kind of watching it all from afar um that complaint about the sort of super abundance was leveled at Tezuka even during his life uh people um, uh, in Japan referred to his storytelling as um, supermarket to hoshiki, uh, which is the supermarket method of kind of pushing a trolley down a, down a, down an aisle and just grabbing everything you can see as you run along. Um, so he was criticized for that at the time and, and people who worked with him um, in animation were always saying, you know, would, could you just rein it in and stick to the thing you're talking about? But he was so, you know, uh, grabby grabby when it came to looking for story ideas and, and new directions that it, it would often kind of wander off in all kinds of weird ways um, Sean um, you have come up with a lot of criticism aimed specifically at the animation techniques in all these films uh, you, you've been you've been zeroing in very much uh, on, on, on what's being done uh, behind the scenes how did Phoenix come across for you? Uh, specifically like I thought Phoenix had, I think what you're referring to is the use of sort of 3D, uh, but I thought Phoenix specifically had the nicest use of 3D. Uh, I don't know what they did to treat it in such a way, but it felt very tactile or textured in a way that I found that worked great for it, what it was trying to do. I broadly agree with the rest of the jury. Like it was very entertaining, but uh, potentially too much crammed in but mm. i think that's also what i found fun about it i think yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean i think um gordon called it overstuffed uh which i thought was a, a, a nice phrasing for it um you're looking at uh, a massive multi-volume manga series being compressed into a massive multi-episode tv series which is then being compressed into a film um and i think you certainly get a sense with that that you know your every, everything is being compressed to a ridiculous extent and that and doesn't necessarily help it a whole lot and, and, and as i pointed out for jury as well there's a lot um, also very much in the spirit of tezuka a lot of the voice actors are cameo roles from celebrities um, who won't be recognisable to, to foreign audiences. So the judges, for example, in the judging scene, they're actually a comedy troupe, a famous Japanese comedy troupe who are, who are playing those judges in, in the city hall. Um, and, and, so the, and, and so the fact that it, you're basically hearing the voices of, I don't know, the young ones or the, the Mary Whitehouse experience, or I'm trying to think of comedy troupes that are more modern than that, I can't think of any, um, uh, or the Japanese equivalent, is, is not something that necessarily comes across um, all that well. Um, and, uh, and I have to say, as, as a result of, of this 
um, I think we can call it a lukewarm reaction from the jury. Uh, when, when it came to the voting, um, Phoenix did not get any votes at all. Um, I'm sure it would have done if it was up against different films, but in the context of um, the films that were competing uh, this year, um, Phoenix didn't quite make the grade uh, required of the jury to get any of the jury's um, each jury member has two votes and they're allowed to assign them anywhere they want. None of them wanted to assign them to Phoenix. And and, and I'm sure some of you feel a little bit sad about that because, it, it, you know, it, it's not that it d deserved to come in last. It just th that it did. Yeah, I feel like I still enjoyed it. But like when next to the other films, it just wasn't didn't pull me in in the same way. So I totally agree with that. Like it wasn't a bad film. <laughs> it just was my least favourite. Yeah. Uh, normally, sorry. No, so yeah, I think the thing that uh, that has been said about it being overstuffed is also, you know, it's what I found fun about it as well. It's it's constantly presenting you with new ideas. It's constantly sort of changing what it's about, which is also why it's kind of hard to get a hold on. So mm -hmm. it's sort of a double-edged sword, but still very enjoyable. For sure, me. and and so so quite possibly it's something that you would find more enjoyable to watch as a TV series, which <laughs> possibly was. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something that we confront very, very often in, in, a, in a Japanese animation film festival, is that a, num a large number of feature films in Japan rely on the audience to have some kind of foreknowledge of something in another medium. And as a film festival, uh, we are very keen. Um, I mean, we, you know, we, we will serve that market because a lot of the people who come are fans and, and they want to see episode 4 million of, of Dragon Ball or whatever it is. But... Um, we hope for 30% walk-ins by members of the public and we can't expect them to do homework before they show up to see a film. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, that is Phoenix, Reminiscence of Flower. Um, and from there, we move on to a film which is maybe a bit of a, more of a known quantity in, in certain ways. It is based off a novel by Mizuki Sujimura um, and directed by Kate Chihara, um, previously of uh, the likes of, of Miss Hokusai. Uh, and this is Lonely Castle in the Mirror. Yes, go on, Sean. Tell us what Lonely Castle in the Mirror is about. Oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, it is a sort of story set uh, in a town in Japan, I believe, uh, about seven young people, all sort of of school age, who are invited via the mirror into a sort of exciting fantasy castle and given the mission that over nine months they have to find a key that once found will grant them a wish uh, and that's sort of the premise I guess and it and it provides like various sort of stepped twists mm -hmm. uh, and turns beyond that uh, and there's a very interesting uh, wolf queen character which is a little mm -hmm. girl in a wolf mask who is delivering all of this information to them uh, with various levels of frustration. Yes, uh, it's, it's the frustration that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, because the original author, Mizuki Tsujimura, rejects many of the premises of children's fantasies. And one of them is this idea that you go to this fantastic world and you have these missions and you save it. And through the character of the of the Wolf Queen, you know, they, they invite these seven children to this magical castle and there's a key somewhere and it'll grant them a wish. And then she comes in and goes, have you found the key yet? And they're all just sitting on the sofa or playing Monopoly or something. And they've got no interest whatsoever in pursuing these missions that are being set for them. And so th and so this kind of wolf queen, she's getting more and more frustrated with her. Like, will you go and do the thing? 
and and it and it's certain and eventually it becomes apparent as as Sean said one of the twists is that the kids turn out to value the company of other kids and the opportunity afforded them to socialize in this castle much more than any mission that they might have been given so that's one twist another twist of course uh, as we eventually discover is is that it turns out that whoever gets the wish will will, will have their wish granted but everyone will lose their memory of the castle and they come to cherish the memories of being in the castle much more as well. But there is even more to it than that, is there not, fellow jury members? Um, yeah, it went a lot more serious and dark than I thought it was going to, like just delving into darker subject areas like bullying and grief and abuse. Mm. So I wasn't expecting it to be as dark as it was, but I felt like it did bring like a lot of emotion to it, and I did really enjoy it as a film. Mm. I mean, a, a new puzzle starts to arise uh, as the film goes on, which is why these children have been chosen, um, which is actually solved relatively quickly. They, they've all undergone similar experiences at school, but then it turns out they've all been to the same school, and that doesn't compute because they don't remember seeing each other there. Um, and uh, they're busy, and there are all kinds of clues dropped through the film. Uh, which various audience members noticed at different times uh, in clues in the, the clothes that people are wearing and in things in the background and so on, um, which is all quite a nice little set of puzzles. Um, for those that don't know, the, the novel is 350 pages long. It's very chunky. Um, and the novel actually deals with the backstories of all seven children. And, and so the film, I think, quite artfully compresses it all into the way it looks from the point of view of just one, which is a girl called Kokoro. Um, so that was that was a very, very nice. Um, Anna, you liked the, the positive spin on bullying in the film. Yeah, I did. And I, I also enjoyed um, how the film kind of starts with a lot of elements and a lot of, as you said, it's like a, a puzzle that a lot of elements of the puzzle that are not getting solved and they keep throwing like new ones at you but I felt like at the end all of them were like justified and they were answered so I, I did quite like how they played with all of these hints and um, to kind of like um grab the attention of the of the audience um and yeah even though it became it, it started to explore really dark themes and really like emotion powered uh, themes throughout it I felt like the end gave such a positive spin to that um and it made it like a multi-generational thing that people can help each other with which i yeah i did kind of like that because i feel yeah it gave something to the audience as well um rather than just take you through a through a personal emotional journey so yeah that was right. great I, I personally felt a little bit shortchanged by revelation at the end uh which which gordon pointed out um uh, in the jury deliberations i think which is that it turns out that a really important reference uh, the, the the novel has multiple references to all kinds of fairy tales and stories and franchises but um there's a particular one uh, which is the wolf and the seven kids um by the brothers grim uh, which turns out to be a, a really crucial clue in solving the puzzles and it's a clue that you're given as the puzzle is solved um which i find found quite infuriating because I feel that if you're going to tell a puzzle-based story, you should at least give the reader some uh, the, or the viewer some kind of chance to work it out themselves. Half the pleasure with watching Lonely Castle in the Mirror 
was my gradual realization what the twist was as it went on. And I saw little clues here and there. Donna saw a particular clue, which is a doll's house on a on a shelf. Um, I saw um, the, the socks that a particular girl was wearing, which which was a clue to, to something, um, not to give anything away unless you've read the book. But um, um, Sean, in your case, there were two things that originally irritated you that you came to realize were actually part of the setup. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, I'd say I was irritated by the inaction of the characters uh, when they were presented with such a juicy mystery uh, at the start. Uh, and it, I think what the film develops into is like a film of two halves where the second half, sort of everything happens at once mm -hmm. uh, and the characters sort of move beyond their inaction. And they start talking to each other and as soon as they start communicating, it's just different steamrolls into a very cathartic sequence that is very powerful. Uh, so I, I think that sort of inaction is, must be an intentional choice by the filmmaker. Uh, yeah, and the other thing you're referring to, I wouldn't say I was irritated by the, what I would describe as like um, simple uh, background design of the castle, but uh, that also was revealed to be like a very conscious and uh, satisfying reveal that, I guess if we're just talking about spoilers, they, they are in... I think it's, it's okay to spoil the end. I think there's a lot of... Uh, uh, most of the people listening to this podcast would have been at the festival and, and would have now seen the film by this point. Um, so it, it's, it's okay to reveal the fact that the, the design of the castle is based on a child's doll's house and consequently the simplicity of the design, which might look like cheap animation uh, or cheap, cheap art anyway, um, was actually uh, diegetically convincing um so 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 that was you know that, that was nice that, that was one of those things where you go okay well I would I would have hated that but it turns out it, it's it's fine um so so that, that that was all you know great um and uh I I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought it I, than, than I thought I would the time just rocketed past for me watching this um there's all kinds of things to to savor and enjoy uh for me as a Japanese speaker all seven children are beautifully differentiated in the way that they speak. Every one of them speaks uh, in, a, in a mode of Japanese that is entirely distinct. So um, much like um, like novels today, uh, it would be possible to write their dialogue without saying who said what, because the, the way that they phrase that their speech is so powerfully characterful that you, you wouldn't need to know who was saying what because you'd all after a few pages you'd like oh well it's definitely that guy who's saying that because the football always ends with this particular particle and 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 you know and the and the the piano playing girl always speaks with this particular pronoun and, and so on so that's that's all very nice um the ending did feel a little bit rushed but that is kind of how the book works as well the book really enjoys building up this long, long, languorous period of people doing absolutely nothing and the Wolf Queen getting increasingly annoyed with them. Um, and then you know, everything starts to fall apart at the end. Um, and, and because it unfolds over, over in almost an, an entire year. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not, you've got 10 minutes to find the key or the castle's going to explode. It's like, you have 10 months to find this thing. So everyone's like, well, we can probably just goof off for a bit there. It doesn't really matter, um, which was also quite, quite lovely. Um, I, I felt that a lot of it was a, a kind of a possibly an inadvertent, but probably quite vertent um, metaphor for the PlayStation generation, uh, for the fact that, you know, if you're a latchkey kid, you can come home and sit in your bedroom and start doing your homework. But 
there is a screen to your side that's beckoning you to another world where you can lead armies, where you can fight wizards and so on. Um, and you can just, you know, with, with the flick of a switch, you can just go there uh, and it's a handy uh, respite from, from modern life. Um, and, and I think that the... Uh, um, the film did a very good job of, of, of evoking that, both for the people who do it, you know, teenagers, um, and for the parents who are frustrated with them doing it all the time. Anyway, um, Lonely Castle in the Mirror uh, attracted a degree of, uh, um, of, of votes um, from the jury. It actually got two votes. Who voted for it on the jury again? Sean and... So the other one must have been Gordon. It was Gordon. I was quite torn between this and another one, so I did really enjoy it as well, and I almost mm -hmm. voted for it, but the other one just bet it for me. Mm. Um, okay, so I think that's all we have to say about um, Lonely Castle in the Mirror. Although the other thing to mention is that much to everybody's surprise, I think, it, it, it evoked quite an emotional reaction um, in many members of the jury. Um, it's surprising that something that is also almost deliberately bland for the first part of the film can suddenly twist what you've seen into something uh, quite so, so, so impactful. And, and it, it, it does it very, very well. Um, and uh, it, in, in many ways, it evoked... And I'm sure this was inadvertent. It evoked the end of St. Elsewhere. I don't know if anyone's seen the uh, 1980s uh, hospital drama, St. Elsewhere. It was the ER of its day. Um, and right at the end, in the very, very final episode, uh, the camera kind of pulls away from one of the leading characters um, to his son, um, who is uh, disabled um, and who is playing with a, with a doll's house that's a hospital. And there's this implication that the entire TV series has been in the mind of this child. Um, and uh, it's, it's the sort of thing that I'm sure Mizuki Tsujima, um, uh, uh, Suji, I've forgotten her name now, Tsujimura, uh, was thinking of uh, with this, but I don't know if she was directly referencing anything elsewhere. Hmm. Um, so Lonely and Castle in the Mirror, very popular with the jury, uh, not popular enough um, to win all the votes whatsoever. Um, and uh, it was actually the first film of the day as well, which I, I think is probably worth mentioning because um, the jury, for their sins, have to sit through all four films in a row. Um, and it, it is, you know, it's not working in a fish canning factory, but it is nevertheless um, quite a, an effort uh, to get through. And uh, I mean, I, I'll ask the jury members themselves, do you feel if you'd seen the films in a different order that you might have voted differently? Possibly, I think, because up until I saw the last film of the day, I was going to vote for Lonely Castle and mm -hmm. or Castle in the Mirror. And I just felt like I couldn't remember, like I knew I really liked it, but then just having seen the last one, I was like, oh, I really liked that too. And I can remember why. <laughs> so it's just on the top of your mind more. But yeah. That was the same. And I felt because we had watched the four films, um, I was almost thinking, you know, this last one needs to be really powerful and really good so that I shift my opinion because I was the same as, as Donna. Um, I was going to vote for Lonely Castle in the Mirror, but then I watched the last film mm -hmm. and I was like, well, actually, that is quite powerful, powerful mm -hmm. enough for me to shift. 
my view. So maybe, yeah, maybe if they had been in a different order. So, I mean, the last film was Blue Giant, which we're getting to next. Um, so uh, if you'd have seen Blue Giant first thing in the morning, do you think by the afternoon you'd have forgotten how good it was and, and not voted for it? Possibly not, because it was really good as well. Well, I mean, let's talk about Blue Giant. Um, I think, uh, Anna, you haven't uh, synopsized anything yet. So if you could let us know what the story of Blue Giant is. So the story of Blue Giant is the story of a boy that wants to become the best jazz play, player in the world. Um, and he's from a really small town in Japan. And he dreams about moving to Tokyo and um, and just playing jazz and, and be the best that he can be. So he doesn't and do that. And it's his story and how he kind of um, makes his dreams come true and the people that help him along the way as well. Yeah, and the town in question is Sendai, which only occurred to me just now as you were saying that is that is actually in um, in the north of Japan, the area that was affected by the twenty eleven earthquake. Um, so, although we don't see any urban desolation um, uh, in in the film in, in his hometown, because he's he basically he's only in it for a minute before he leaves. Um, nevertheless, he, he's coming from a relatively impoverished area because it's still putting itself back together um, after a massive natural disaster. And he goes away to the big city of Tokyo. Um, and uh, this is extracted from a very long um, manga series, which is actually still ongoing. Um, and uh, interestingly, uh, Blue Giant runs in uh, Big Comic, which is a magazine for adult men, um, as does The Concierge, the, um, the next um, film we'll, we'll talk about. Um, Blue Giant, you can see why it's there. The Concierge, maybe not so much. Um, and so the, the the manga series by Shinji Ishizuka begins in Sendai. Uh, he you know and it begins with him you know getting his first saxophone and learning to play and and saying he wants to make uh, do better, uh, putting him through the you know his school years. Gets uh, he goes to Tokyo and then in the manga he then goes to the United States and he wanders around the United States a bit. And, and currently in the manga, he's at the Berkeley College of Music. He's actually studying music and, and confronting uh, the, the, the difference between the, the classical music tradition as taught and jazz, uh, which in, in a certain sense can't be learned, but only felt. Um, and so uh, the director, Yuzuru Tachikawa, has, has very smartly, I think, um, concentrated on the move from Sendai to Tokyo. Um, the the rupture is much clearer in Japanese than it is in English because the characters from Sendai do speak with their Sendai with very pronounced Sendai accents um, when they're together and they have to kind of tart themselves up when they go out in Tokyo to impress all those posh Tokyo people. Um, uh, but I mean, most famously, um, they made a big deal uh, in the publicity for the film of using different forms of animation to try and convey the emotion, the impression of emotion um, of, of playing jazz and of hearing jazz. And all the members of our jury, from what I've seen of their work online, are very big on impressionistic um, uh, animation, on, on, on using you know, uh, light and color and, and, and shapes to, to, to give us um, a sense that is perhaps anti-real. Anti you, you may disagree. You can tell me I'm talking out of my ass if you like. Um, Sean, in your case, um, you felt that the mixture of 
2D hand-drawn and tune-changed 2D and uh, full-on 3D CG was actually quite jarring and didn't help. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, it was, for me personally, quite distracting. I think Blue Giant has some of the nicest animation and some of the nicest storytelling out of the films we saw, but it, it consistently jumps during jazz performance scenes into sort of wide shots of 3D models and sometimes close shots of 3D models that I personally found distracting. Uh, I can appreciate from an artistic and production point of view why those decisions were made, uh, for sure. But it, the highs were so high that it was a shame to uh, constantly bounced out of something that I found had so many things to like about it. Donna, you immediately noticed the motion capture when it when it popped up. Yeah, it was just like when they were playing the piano and things like that. I was a bit like, whoa, what's going on here? Because it was so realistic and smooth compared to the 2D hand-drawn stuff that it pulled me out of it for a bit because I was like, it, it just felt so different to the rest. Um, but I feel like maybe they were trying to capture like the performance of actual musicians like feeling the music so you could mm. get their body movements and things like that but so after a while I just kind of got used to it and I wasn't as distracted by it anymore so but yeah the motion capture at first threw me off for a bit. Whereas Anna you loved it you thought it I, I, what the note I have from you here is that you actually thought it elevated the music which was, the, it was entirely the director's uh, desire. Yeah I mean I, I thought I also love traditional animation, um, but I thought what they did was very effective because it was representing what the the players were going through and what the audience goes through as well when it's listening to the music and all of the different emotions and like up, up, ups and downs that you go through. So in terms of like, and I thought it was deliberate as well because um, it did, you know, it did jump quite a bit and you were noticing the different styles of animation there, but I thought, okay, well, that is supposed to make you feel something and and you know like for me it did work in that sense um but yeah yeah I was I think I was the only one <laughs> that enjoyed it unfortunately um I think every, everyone I think enjoyed it to a certain extent um I mean you you got two votes uh for, for Blue Giant from the jury um which was you know a, a very good showing for it um uh, my, my question on behalf of people who haven't seen it um is that one gets the impression from the advertising that this is a film that if you like jazz you'll like this um and the question i have for all of the jury members present is if you don't like jazz will you still like this yeah i know nothing about jazz and don't listen to jazz but i really enjoyed it and a lot of the film is actually just performances of the music and i was like maybe i do like jazz because <laughs> it was great. oh very good that, 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 that's um uh, a film that's not in competition that was on uh, yesterday is uh, Commander, A Whiskey Family. A lot of people were coming out of that saying, maybe I do like whiskey um, and running off to the bar and having some. Um, so possibly this film is, is also achieving the same kind of element. Certainly the idea of the film in Japan is being sold as uh, uh, an introduction to jazz, uh, an appreciation of jazz. You can buy a tie-in um, CD collection of uh, the various uh, musicians who are, are quoted or referred to in the film. Um, there's even a shirt company that's trying to sell jazz shirts um, to to the man about town who wants to look like he's a musician. 
Um, so, uh, and ultimately, of course, to sell the manga as well, to sell the manga to people because um, uh, it's it's still ongoing. So, the, the creating a fan of the manga will create someone who has to hand over a hundred pounds to buy all the volumes, which is you know worth much more than a cinema ticket. And one of the reasons why these things um, get done. I mean, Anna, you said it was relatable if you want it to be. Is is the quote I've got from you here? I don't know quite how that's turned up, but that's what it says. Yeah, I thought this because again, I don't, um, I don't listen to jazz, so I can't relate to that specifically. But I think that the film was relatable in the sense that, um, what it was about really was about this person wanting to make his dreams come true and an artist that is very passionate about their art. So I think for everyone that has something that they're very passionate about, you can immediately relate to that because you would, you you would not be able to do anything else apart from just pursue what you love which is what the main character does and so i thought in that sense anyone could really like relate to it so in the case of uh blue giant as i said it got two votes from the jury um so who voted was it was it anna and donna who voted for it yeah yeah so um once again that put it in joint second place with um uh, Lonely Castle in the Mirror, uh, a very honourable score um, to get out of a jury of four, um, but it wasn't the one that won. The one that won uh, was the last film we're going to talk about today, which got a vote from every jury member, I presume, yeah, must have done, uh, to get four votes. Um, and that is uh, The Concierge, the full title being The Concierge at the Hyokyoku Department Store, um, a uh, which is also based on a manga from Big Comics. So the kind of man who reads Blue Giant is also the kind of man who's reading The Concierge, even though I personally felt The Concierge had a much wider appeal um, for both male and female viewers. Um, uh, well, I mean, can I have a volunteer from the jury to tell us what The Concierge is about? Because I've made all three of you do something now, so I need one more person to just step forward, and none of you are fine. Donna, what happens in the concierge? Uh, okay, so the concierge is about a woman who's starting out as a trainee concierge. So I guess it's her goal to become like a fully trained concierge working at a big fancy department store, um, which caters to animals, like all the customers at the department store are animals. Um, all the concierge staff are human. <laughs> So it's mainly about this trainee trying to impress the floor manager and the department store owner so that she can become a fully-fledged concierge by um, catering to all the crazy customer requests and all the little things. And, and, and there is, there is, I feel, an element of confusion here as well in the way that it's presented because... Um, uh, <sighs> I'm not aware, I, maybe I'm just not posh enough to go to the right kind of department store, but I'm not aware of this kind of job going on. I know that in Harrods, you can have a personal shopper who will kind of follow you around and shove things at you that you might want. Um, the, con uh, the, the We do encounter concierges um, in, in Britain, but they're either kind of greeters at the door saying hello as you walk into the Disney store and you'd like to want to talk to them. Um, or their personal shoppers for like super elite shops, um, that kind of middle ground of there being a kind of attendant who isn't a specific 
you know, salesperson, but it's just there to kind of facilitate sales seems to me to be quite an, an unfamiliar thing, at least to me. Um, and the term concierge um, really comes up in hotels. Um, and uh, one of the things that the, the film repeatedly does is it zooms in on the lapels of the concierge for this crossed orc design um, that, that she has, which is evocative of the crossed keys, which is the sign of the uh, of the International Society of Concierges, which is this um, hotel kind of guild where you have to pass a ridiculously complicated exam that proves that you are able to be the ultimate provider of customer service in the hotel sector. And somehow uh, the creator of this, of this uh, comic, um, uh, which is a Tsuchika Nishimura, um, has turned this into a department store job. Um, and something I forgot to tell you um, during the, the jury deliberations yesterday is that the author of this manga, uh, when he was young, worked in the Japanese equivalent of a pound shop. He worked in a hundred yen shop. And he says that much of his experience in writing the concierge is based on the kind of nutters who would come in there looking for clothes pegs and, and phone chargers and stuff, um, which is you know much more low rent than the concierge, uh, which is um, about an elite department store. I mean, remember what I said about the, the likely readership for this, they're salary men in their twenties and thirties, they're buying, designer goods, gifts, trinkets, and so on. I think that really steers um, the way that the story works. Um, but Sean, uh, I mean, I'll just say all the jury loved this. Everyone on the jury loved it. Gordon thought it was beautiful and a surreal dream. Um, Donna was invested in all the little stories. Um, Anna enjoyed the quality of the illustration in, in the sense that it, 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 there was a materiality to it. You could tell it was hand-drawn and it celebrated its hand-drawn nature. Um, Sean loved the character designs, but also pointed out that it was very difficult to have something that um, talked about uh, the despoliation of the animal world while also celebrating consumerism so hard. Yes, it was. It's, it's the only thing I could really ding the film for is it's it's constantly, it's such a joyous affair and it's constantly presenting you with just rampant consumerism and as a sort of salve for any sort of emotional problem. But it's, it, it for me, it doesn't ultimately detract from the experience because I find that idea so and kind of ridiculous that it becomes just part of the, you know, the ecstatic character of the film. I guess it's it is it is odd and it's notable, but uh, for better or worse, I was able to put it to, put it aside to enjoy mm -hmm. like uh, it's an an incredible piece of work with endless endless fun. Really, it's just it's constantly a joy. Yeah, Donna, you you were also somewhat wrong-footed by the idea you could buy happiness. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, for me, the thing about the animals where they went into the extinction thing um, and the, the auk mentioned, like, the department store was started when the auks went extinct. And I was sort of confused by that. Like, were they blaming consumerism for 
sort of causing the extinction of animals. But then yeah, it was a bit lost in all the Oh, the department it, store is now the answer to all your problems. Yeah, it, it, it is something that kind of gets buried in, in the narrative. And it, it, it's a lovely little twist as, as the story goes on. It's not immediately apparent um, in the film that almost all the animals you see are, as you say, extinct. I mean, the, with the mammoth, it's obvious. But with something like the Japanese wolf, you'd have to be Japanese or a Japanese historian to know that the last Japanese wolf died in 1905. Um, something like the sea mink, you, you know, you, you'd have to be like a vet to know there are no more sea mink. Like, well, I didn't know there were no more, so I don't know. They're just like, you know, little rat things, who knows? Um, so um, over much like Lonely Castle in the Mirror, which builds up this sort of puzzle, there is a puzzle unfolding in um, um, the concierge you know, she encounters she encounters this character on her first date, who she refers to repeatedly as a penguin, um, who turns out to be a great orc, uh, which you know, a now extinct um, Antipodean uh, flightless bird. Um, and uh, so, over time, you, you, and, and then suddenly you get this kind of info dump at the end, where the manager, the the orc manager of the department store, as you say, explains that this is a sort of museum to, oh, he doesn't specifically say to the ghosts of dead animals, but if these animals are extinct, how are they shopping? I don't, there, there, there's there's this odd sort of dreamlike quality, as, as Gordon himself noticed, there's this kind of odd dreamlike quality to it, which doesn't quite add up unless it's a haunting almost, unless these animals are kind of haunting the, the kind of organization that led to their hunting to extinction i mean the the japanese wolf the sea mink and the orc were all hunted as a form of commercialism for different reasons um ironically the last orcs were killed in order to be stuffed to be mounted as museum exhibits um to the lost orc um so which is a bit you know circular in its reasoning um so um uh, anna you really enjoyed the way it was drawn or rather you 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 uh, voice the entire jury's love of the way that it was drawn. Um, yeah, I quite enjoyed the animation quality to it and like the style. It felt like to me that every single frame of the film could just be framed as a as its own like poster or illustration, um, which I think none of the other films had in that way. So for me, that was yeah the quality that stood out the most. And, and I think when you look at the original manga as well, many of many of the manga pages are very much in the style of Richard Scarry. They are giant double page spreads with all kinds of antics going on in different corners. Um, so I think uh, that was a decision by Yoshimi Itazu, the director, to to kind of evoke the spirit of the manga by making everything so painterly. It did work out really well, I think. Yeah. And you also enjoyed the fact that it went deeper than it appeared to be going at the beginning. Yeah, I kind of, I didn't really mind the inconsistencies of the, you know, well, the animals being been extended or or like not, or the store like being open after the this um, animal went extended because I thought the whole thing was just like really a parody, but also a, a kick in the bum in a way uh, to humans <laughs> for kind of doing all of that to animals and I, I think yeah the, the sort of concierges and everyone working in that department store I think they also mentioned that in the film at some point they were kind of paying 
for what they had done to animals and in the way that they now have to serve them as if they're you mm. know like um as if they're humans um and the animals now have all of these uh, qualities and like greed in them and um mm. sort of just overwhelming requests sometimes so yeah, i did the, quite there's a very it. difficult seal at one point who's yeah. <laughs> making trouble uh, and, and Sean, you found that the, the humans were more caricatured by the animals, and winningly so. Oh, yeah, that that was very fun. Uh, there was, I think, as the floor manager is a quite a demented character who is regularly depicted sliding out of underneath, like, gaps in the flooring and stuff. At one point, he has a fully flat face. Uh, the characters are very... They have a lot of simplified shapes that is very satisfying, and it's a fun contrast to the animals. That is, in general, like the old animals are just so beautifully rendered in their sort of character characterfulness. And the humans are, I think, they are, whether intentional or not, I'm not sure, but they're probably slightly more cartoonish than the animals in a in a in a way, uh, which was just I don't know another fun thing in a film of fun things. And I think as well, the film celebrates something that the Japanese make a big deal of in their tourist um, advertising and their publicity, which is what they call uh, kindness for the sake of kindness. Um, there is a real concentration, um, sometimes I think falsely and uh, insincerely so, um, but often very, very sincerely on customer service in Japan. Um as foreigners, we tend uh, not to experience it necessarily uh, quite so much because so many customer servants are petrified of having to speak to a foreigner because the foreigner is going to be the worst possible seal customer they can imagine. Um, I remember once um, in Sendai, actually, uh, in, the, in the town that, where Blue Giant happens, going to buy some tickets at the Shinkansen station, and, and this woman was very insistent that I should go to the foreigner window to, to buy them. And I said, well, we're speaking Japanese right now. I think you can probably guess that I can ask for my ticket at the normal window. And she's like, no, no, you have to go to the foreigner window because the woman at the foreigner window has been hired to deal with foreigners and she's going to lose face if you buy a ticket from someone else. And I'm like, oh, for God's sake. So, you know, we're all dancing. We're dancing around them uh, in the, for the sake of customer service. Um, but the, the customer service, as it, it, do, do any of the jury members recall ever having been treated in the in the way that the animals are treated in this film, or is this or is that itself also a fantasy? Uh, absolutely not. No. I, no, I live I live to dream. It doesn't happen in Greg's in Glasgow, is what I'm saying. So. No, I think nowhere in the Western world, I think you'd be treated like that. Um, I do remember though when I went to Japan. I did feel like that um, almost like every time I walked somewhere. Um, and I, when I came back to Europe, I felt like everyone was so rude. Mm. <laughs> Just because, you know, like... Um, so I think that's like more of a culture, cultural yeah. thing for them I, to treat everyone like like that. When I, when I was a student in Japan for a year, I came back home and the culture shock hit me in the post office uh, when the woman behind the counter said, are you next? And I was like, how dare you address me as you? You know, um, it just kind of bubbled up because I've been so used to being treated in, uh, in, in a very different way. Um, so, so, so yes, it, it, it is quite an alien concept. We all understand what customer service is. It's just we don't necessarily get a whole lot of it, you know, in the co-op. 
Um, so as a result, uh, the concierge, for all these reasons, um, uh, got four votes from the jury. I saw no reason to fight over whether it should have a greater lead. Um, so we very happily um, made uh, Blue Giant and Lonely Castle in the Mirror Joint second place. Um, uh, the concierge got uh, four marks, uh, one mark from each juror, which is fine with me. So that became the winner. We, At the time that we are recording this podcast, um, we have yet to inform um, the Japanese Aniplex uh, that it's won, but hopefully by the time it's won, we'll get a, um, uh, a statement from them and that can go out uh, at the same time as this podcast. Um, we are also in the, in the process of uh, arranging the audience awards, which is where we solicit comments from the audience about the films in competition. Um, and Andy has already assembled a list of the comments that we've had so far on Blue Giant and Lonely Castle in the Mirror. Unfortunately, at the time we're recording this, we haven't yet screened the concierge um, or Phoenix. Um, but Andy, we've got some comments from the audience um, about uh, those two films, which possibly the jury might like to hear some of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely interesting. There's certainly sort of a general sort of match up um as, as mentioned you know we've only got the glasgow voting in but you could pretty much throw a towel over lonely castle and blue giant in terms of scoring um but yeah i mean lonely castle interestingly you know jonathan you were talking about the length of the book uh we had a few people who clearly read that book who commented that a lot had been excised from it um which seemed to be not a massive criticism given how it matched with scoring but clearly I think as we talked about during deliberations, you know, the book goes into detail about the backstories of all the characters, whereas a lot of that kind of gets skipped in the um in the, the film version for obvious reason. Um and in terms of, of other comments, um yeah, um again the emotion side of it certainly came through emotionally striking with a jab in the heart at the end. Um absolutely wonderful. It had me holding back my tears at the end. Um, again, appreciation for sort of the themes, uh, a thought-provoking film exploring the effects of bullying with a hopeful message um, is kind of a, a highlight there. Um, but yeah, generally, it sort of felt like there was a good, a good kind of um, match to the stuff that, that we talked about with the, the jury. Um, and likewise, Blue Giant, you know, a lot of people moved by it. Um, the music side of it certainly, you know, hit for people. Likewise, though, we did, you know, have comments about the, the use of CG, um, some some of which were positive. You know, we had one love the mix of 2D and 3D CG, um, but uh, also people, you know, suggesting the animation techniques are wild and varied, but not all of them hit the right notes, such as the 3D sections for myself was a comment there. Um, sometimes the 3D models weren't the best, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, th this was the interesting thing, again, from both the jury deliberations and and post that regarding the animation in, in particular. And there's a really wide sort of gamut of opinion on that from really hating the use of 3D to actually kind of liking it and and, and what it does, uh, which is is pretty interesting as well. There you go. So, so, so far, it, it looks possible that the audience may be agreeing with the jury. Uh, we, we may find ourselves in a situation where the same thing wins both awards. Who knows? Um, at the time we're recording this, I have no clue myself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, you know, from Glasgow voting alone, we're kind of on 4.46 for Lonely Castle, 4.51 for Blue Giant. I, so, you know, there's there's already some pretty, close. It's pretty be high scorings. Yeah, like this, this is sort of 
what I suspected might have happened with the jury as well, where we came come close to sort of having a three-way tie, because there's clearly, you know, three very strong films there for very different reasons. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But obviously, yeah, by the time this uh, podcast is published, we will have the Audience Awards uh, winner uh, announced as well. So you'll be able to find that on our usual social media channels of Love's Animation as well, um, alongside, yeah, hopefully some more on the actual Jury Award winner too. So, jury members, um, I hope you had a nice time and you uh, are not going home now saying, I never want to be on a jury again. That was awful. No, it was great. I had, like, the best time. And for someone who's not got a lot of experience watching anime, Japanese animation, it's really opened my eyes to all the different styles and stories out there. So it was great to see. Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, It was a wonderful day. yeah, feel very lucky to be part of it. I really enjoyed it as well. And I think being at the cinema the whole day as well, with like people that you can speak about um, the film, that you can speak uh, about the films, um, it was like really, really useful as well because it really let you concentrate on what was going on. And, and um, yeah, you, you normally don't have that um, that experience when you go to the cinema with friends or, or alone. I, I do hear that a lot from jury members is that the thing they really take away from it is that this enforced conversation, the fact that you're not just going to watch a film and go home and forget about it, you are obliged to talk about it with other people for a purpose, does create some kind of heightened sense of the film that you're watching. Yeah. Sorry, Karen. That was, that, that was it. I was just going to say, well, there we go. Yeah, they seem quite happy. They're not sobbing. I think we've got away with it. Um, so uh, it only remains to say thank you very much to the jury members for um, for participating this year. It's been uh, a pleasure uh, not to have to adjudicate any real fights. Apart from that, there was a little bit of a, of a, of a contest between Sean and Anna about whether or not the CG... <laughs> uh in um in blue giant uh was a sin or not but it was all you know uh, resolved very amicably uh, and nobody had to go to hospital so that's always a plus with juries yeah absolutely, absolutely. Um, and yeah, and I guess to, to close things off, I'll, I'll just uh, go around the houses for uh, for all of our jury members if they have uh, anything that they would like to plug in terms of where people can find their work. Uh, so Donna, I'll let you go first. Um, I just have a website. It's donnamacaboy.com. Um, my Instagram stuff's on there too, but I very rarely post on there these days, but I'm going to try and get into it again. <laughs> Fantastic. And Sean, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, I have a site at work, I believe, and uh, Stacking Chairs will be releasing titles sometime in 2025, so look out for that. I'll give you a shout. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, Anna, where can people find you? Um, I'm the same. I've got a website, and but I mostly post most of my portfolio on, on Instagram. Um, they're both called Anna Animates It, which is a bit of a <laughs> mouth riddle if you say it all together, but yeah, Anna Animates It. Excellent. And uh, Gordon Howie can be found at www.gordonhowie.com. Uh, I'll put all of these URLs in the uh, podcast notes as well so that you just have an easy link to click rather than having to uh, actually type it out yourselves um so yeah i think that's uh, that's everything from us um, again thank you very much for listening um if you attended scotland's anime thank you and hope you had a good time and if you hadn't and you're 
despairing over the fact that you haven't been able to see all of these great films, I think it's fair to say there will be other opportunities to see them all uh, in the future, in due course. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that on, uh, on all of the usual channels. Um, but yeah, I think that is everything from us. So again, thank you for listening. Thank you ever so much to all of our jury members for all of their uh, insight and time. Uh, it's been a, a great time for us and hopefully for yourselves as well. So uh, until next time we do this, uh, take care, everybody. And goodbye.